and I are going to have to have a serious conversation sometime about what's really going on. Hey, folks, and welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid and the only one that knows you're not sated till you're quaded. I am Jeb Lund, a flawlessly executed jet ski dismount, and I'm here with Chekhov's Jonah, Sarah D. Bunting. How you doing? Hello. I'm fine. Thank you. What are the things that are floating your boat today, thinking about Jaws 3 and 3D? Well, the use of floating your boat is on the list. I'm glad that you're not too crabby about having watched this movie. I made a list, wrote it down. Good luck, everybody. So this is, I think, the the first Dennis Quaid movie I can remember scaring the shit out of me. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I uh, I was so so afraid of uh of just jaws in general. I'm not really sure where it came from because it was like kind of like uh in my early 20s I developed a sudden fear of flying for a couple of years and it was like I was fine until I was like 7 or 8 going in the ocean all the time and then maybe saw like 3 minutes of this movie out of context and I was like never again. <laughs> I never had the shark fear everything else basically yeah. <laughs> high strung child a lot's changed but yeah the sharks were not a problem i don't know maybe maybe the fact that they were real did it but also it may just be like it seems like a right of well you know like being worried about like frankensteins and shit you know that's not something i'm necessarily going to do but a shark you know i i grew up in two coastal places and going into right. the water a lot and uh and pretty much every year there would some like a great white would take a plug out of some surfer wearing a, an all black wetsuit in half moon bay because they look like a seal and, uh-huh. you know, the person be fine. But it was just a good reminder because you'd go to, you know, I read the comics when I was a kid. I'd see what was on the front page and they'd be like some, you know, some guy showing a picture of like what his leg looked like after they stitched it back together. And there's the crescent shape of where the shark was like, yeah, I'll try a thigh. Hmm, a little fatty. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I just realized that Dennis Quaid's band is called the Sharks and that this is why. Speaking I mean, of, I actually have more questions now. But anyway, sorry for that interruption. Speaking of, did you have you had a chance since the last episode to listen to any of the content created for the Denisons? I have not. And funny story. I mean, it's actually neither of those things. But I was well, um, extremely busy compiling recent shark attack stories for our uh, Slack discussion. So. I just, I wasn't able to do both things at one time. I'm not a, I'm not a hyphenate worker, so didn't get around to it. And yourself? You got to triage some stuff and keeping me abreast of whether there've been any more, uh, you know, strikes around the piers out in like Destin, Pensacola, because, you know, we get those periodically and Mm -hmm. that's, that's not good. Um, And you also want to know about the ones in Maine, Cape Cod, like what direction are the sharks moving? What what age range are they eating? News you can use. You're welcome. Yeah, shark, COVID. Which is uh, which is your bigger threat if you're in a certain demographic? Um, I set aside <laughs> yesterday to watch this movie multiple times if necessary. I was like, I'll get in early. You know, I'll do it two, three if I have to. And I was like, I'm I'm gonna listen today. And my wife couldn't find her keys and just um waking me up like can you help me find him and i was like just take my car because it's like the one day a week two days a week she has to go in to work unfortunately i left my phone in there and and i do not i'm not gonna you know like i said this the last time i'm not gonna run around 
like with a, a weird apparatus to listen to a podcast. So like I can't, you know, when I go mow the lawn or if I go ride a bike or if I'm on a drive, I can't just like have my laptop there. <laughs> like, yeah. so I'm not going to do it. I mean, you can, but then you're that guy who probably yeah. also has like the belt holster for the laptop. You can't, you can't be that guy. We're in San Francisco's world-famous Blue Fox restaurant to secretly replace the fine coffee they ordinarily serve with Folgers Instant Coffee Crystals. Let's see. Okay, I didn't replace anything, but I forgot to include something. A basic but really important detail, which is not that I did this when my car stereo was broken, but I did this when my car stereo was broken on only a couple of seven-hour drives that I had to make overnight. And I could have gone into more details about hazard mitigation to let you know that I am not a dangerous person, but that is not important. What I want to draw your attention to here is just how generous and professional Sarah's reaction is to something she probably should be clowning. I will admit to like years and years ago when the stereo died in my car and I had a backup battery thing for a laptop, I did just like wind up plugging in my headphones and listening to mixed MP3s on it. Because that was the only way I could do it. This is before like iPods existed, but uh, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> like driving to the road at night, like driving on the highway at night with like the just in the passenger seat where there is nobody, just having that blue light glow of a laptop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was very glad I didn't get pulled over. Like, sir, are you computing? Like, no. <laughs> anyway, should we talk about the Jaws, the legacy, the uh, the narrative? The structure the, the of Jaws. legacy. Well, yes. Yeah. Now we got to talk about the legacy. Uh, well, we did. It's Dennis Quaid's band. Right. Long may they bite. You know, I can't help but think if, if we don't wind up getting ad breaks, we could just start using some recordings of the sharks within copyright compliance just to punctuate it. What's he going to do? Be mad that we're exposing people who are already fans to more of his work? Come on, Dennis. <laughs> is that what free enterprise is about, Dennis? Is that what free speech is about, Dennis? Jaws 3 from 1983. It's updating the saga of the Brody family. Mike Brody has had a very tough life. As a child, his family was attacked by Jaws. Just scant years later, his family was again attacked, this time by a second great white shark named Jaws 2. Just when he thinks he's living the sweet life as the chief engineer of a new sea world in Florida, he's about to be in the Jaws of a third Jaws called Jaws 3D. That's right. It's 1983. 3D is back. It's the third Jaws movie. Jaws can come through the screen at you. It's not like breasts. It's much more terrifying. This is a throwback to last episode. Don't, don't at me. Much like the Brody family, this movie was not really snake-bitten, but from the start, it definitely does bite. Uh, an attempt at making the third movie a parody was scrapped for a screenplay by uh, a veteran screenwriter Richard Matheson, who all but disavows and does not recognize the final product. Although, interestingly, uh, I just want to bring this up. Apparently, he was told to write a part for Mickey Rooney. So huh. maybe when Dennis Quaid isn't demanding that he has a part where he just plays the guitar and sings for a while, he's just like, yo, the Mick, he's my plus one. So that didn't happen, though. That would have been interesting. I don't know where they would have put him. Maybe we can come back to that. I feel like he could have been inserted seamlessly, and I use that word advisedly, as the shark, because <laughs> he looks as much like an actual shark as whatever... <laughs> Paper mache, Louis Braille school of arts and crafts <laughs> bullshit that was. Just imagine like a 35 foot Mickey Rooney like coming out of the darkness of <laughs> the water. terrifying. <laughs> it's 3D no less with the toupee from Bill. 
Anyway, after the screenwriter bailed, the first director bailed. Name actors from the previous movies refused to participate. Direction fell to a production designer and second unit director named Joe Alves. It's the only movie he's ever directed. The story they gave us features the Brody clan again, though. Uh, So Mike and his girlfriend of one year, chief biologist Catherine Morgan, Bess Armstrong, and a blonde bob with bangs that is shaped like a helmet, like the Viper pilots in the original Battlestar Galactica. Mm Mm-hmm. They're preparing for the grand opening of a sea world connected to an ocean lagoon that pumps in 24 million gallons of water per day, allowing them to keep real marine life swimming around in a cross-shaped undersea promenade that converges on a central undersea restaurant and lounge. But a great white gets into the lagoon. It kills a worker repairing a seagate. World-renowned aqua sleaze Philip Fitzroyce, Simon McCorkendale, wants to kill the shark on film for publicity, but Kay persuades entrepreneur Calvin Bouchard... Louis Gossett Jr., who built the park, that the first great white in captivity would bring way more money. The shark is captured. Bouchard goes to capitalize on its notoriety. Far too quickly, the shark dies. And it turns out that wasn't even the killer shark. This is Baby Jaws. The killer was its mom, a 35-foot-long great white that can growl and swim backward. Mama Jaws proceeds to tear SeaWorld apart, including gnashing the thigh of water skier Leah Thompson, who has lured the aquaphobic Sean Brody into the water using the incredible spiritual magnetism of the Yoni. Everyone then is uh, basically involved in a colossal fuck-up until Mike and Kay can distract the Mama Jaws, pull the pin on a grenade that the swallowed and dead Fitzroyce is still holding in the Jaws's jaws, then hide six feet away behind a control panel while an explosive concussion that atomizes a 35-foot multi-ton beast proves harmless to them. They surface and play in the water with the dolphins that have already saved their life twice. End. (laughs) How was it? (laughs) Uh, That summary um, (laughs) really is far better than than the actual film. I don't suppose you rustled up a pair of 3D glasses for this shit, did you? No, but I don't know as if the HBO version would have worked. I mean, I do have ones for my TV, but I I used them once like eight years ago and never again. Have you seen it ever in 3D? No, but I mean, you could sort of tell when it's supposed to be 3D because it looks, I mean, it always looks pretty bad. And then in those places, it looks um, like Ed Wood bad in fact the thing that i remember being terrified of as a kid was just the uh severed arm floating in the middle of the screen for like five seconds like do you see it you know like that and and now of course it's like i'm i'm not scared guys we can move on right but as a child i'm like oh my god that's his bone yeah (laughs) definitely trying to make you think that that ulna is gonna scratch your corneas Right. I made a number of screen grabs that you'll be able to see on our Twitter account. That's Quaid in Full Pod. This alternated between delightfully terrible and obscurely boring. A lot of it was just physically, literally hard to see, to watch. Mm-hmm. And there are things that are, I think, supposed to be incredibly exciting that are not because the the editing does not, I think, understand that it's difficult to see underwater. And I guess the tank they were shooting in, like a squid got in there and it's just really inky and (laughs) hard to see unless exploded shark giblets are in theory flying towards you. I didn't have 3D glasses either. It wasn't bad enough and then it wasn't good enough again. So similar 
feeling here like there are bits where you kind of think like that's more inventive than you would expect for the third iteration in a trilogy and it actually like as a conception for a world and a new way of having a shark terrorize it it's like they they put in some thought and then they just stop at some point and that's where like the the plot is hugely dependent on not only you know a great white being like 15 feet larger than like any captured in captivity or at least at that point right i don't know what it's been like the last decade or so i stopped being a shark kid when i stopped being a kid but <laughs> um there's that you know and then there's like the whole like the last two acts really depend on a shark being able to go in reverse and they can't yeah <laughs> that's, that's not how they work <laughs> That is a basic thing that any kid, because they're all kind of shark kids on some level, can tell you. That's not yeah, not a thing. At some point, you're going to get a, a kid who's in third grade who's going to be like, now wait just a damn minute. And it's going to blow the whole illusion. <laughs> the construction of this film is off. It's like, I just kept thinking of... Um, the guys in Galaxy Quest that that they keep referring to the historical documents. And it's like, did someone refer to Jaws 2 for instructions on how to make any movie? No, like, never mind a Jaws movie. This just seemed like that everyone else is on strike. So I guess we'll assemble it, you know, the way we've learned from watching the historical documents. Like, it just was very strange. Like, scenes that kind of didn't go anywhere they were never a call back to anything the murky suspenseful scenes that how much of this movie comes down to soldering and then an entire group of tourists who are stuck in like the non-towering drowning non-inferno and then we just don't see them for like 10 minutes and then there's an explanation of repressurizing that's going to save everything but it's I actually felt like I couldn't follow the engineering. Am I just not an engineer? Was that the movie's fault? Am I a moron? I don't know. It may be not being an engineer. It may be that they didn't really know how it would work. So they just slapped a couple of like generic comments about how engineering should work on it and hope that it got us past it. Because they say something about like once he can patch this seal on, you know, so again, it's like a, it's a central sort of node with four, you know, glass promenades going out around it and right. one of them has been broken and that's let the water go in supposedly if he cracks it then they can pressurize this one thing which will force you know the doors open because there'll be enough air pressure or something and like and it's a one-line thing and lewis gossett jr is just like uh-huh yeah and you're like okay we're just on board <laughs> you want <laughs> you want to hear some contemporary reviews sure the two words you need from variety or, or you don't need really. It probably doesn't look good on the uh, the poster. Are surprisingly tepid. <laughs> yeah. The most savage review is from Rita Kempley in the Washington Post. It's a contemporary review. I'm just going to read a couple of lines from it. Not connected. Jaws 3D, in which the Amity horror swims to South Florida, looks like a a lot like a Polygrip commercial. What with its extreme close-ups of the Great White's artificial chompers. <laughs> Next winner. I was sorry stars Bess Armstrong and Dennis Quaid weren't eaten too. <laughs> Next line. Gossett, as the owner of the Undersea Kingdom, is an unholy mix of Lee Iacocca, Stepin Fetchett, and Simon Legree. And like that sounds raw. Wow. But you also just get like these moments where he's explaining the undersea engineering of the um the aquarium. 
And he just says... Well, tell me, how do you contain the sharks in this part of the lagoon? Well, you know, it's that old uh, shark screen, you know, that bubble screen? You know, and the sharks don't like that. It's uh, what they call a marine segregation. Every <laughs> <laughs> shark, telephone. Ah, excuse me, gentlemen, be comfortable there. No, you're in Florida. <laughs> it hasn't been that long. No, <laughs> we're not doing that. His characterization is is rough, and he is at at points like almost sort of like meant to seem like a you know a huckster and a cheat, and at other times meant to seem like you know a a confident CEO type. At no point though do you ever really have any idea of what his motivation in making this is, because as a park it doesn't really make any sense. They have the uh, if you've ever seen the vacation video by the Go Go's, they have the Aqua Maids from like Wiki Wachi. Sure. And then they've got SeaWorld, which is a completely landlocked structure in Orlando. But then they've also got this lagoon, which is modeled after uh, this old resort in St. Augustine. And they all have those all have very distinct purposes and they're all kind of crammed in here. But when he's asked, like, well, he's not asked. I think he just sort of expresses this. The aqua maids are going by like water skiing in a triangle. And he says something like... Here come my pride and joy. (laughs) And like, I would think that creating an undersea world for the first time as a museum would be your pride and joy, not like girls in really short outfits, like on top of other people behind a boat. Yeah, there is this ghost signature of some kind of Russ Meyer adjacent um like (laughs) swim exploitation because there's a whole bit that we're given in the beginning with miss mention of the sea world employees where she's basically like don't roll up your pleated khakis beyond (laughs) regulation she's quite strict about it here's clip two we enforce our dress code here so keep your hair and nails trimmed and please don't alter your costumes. Once you've been fitted with your SeaWorld Guide apparel, the shorts are short enough. <laughs> Show any cheek and you'll be back shoveling french fries. Now, it, it seems obvious to me that the butt cheek in the first act should be et in the third in a film like this. And yet, that's not where Leah Thompson gets chomped. Spoiler. So... Like, why include this? Was the original idea that this was going to be like, I don't know, meatballs or gorp at SeaWorld and then Bruce? <laughs> Isn't that what they called the the shark and Jaws? Yeah. Bruce, that he has like a lay on and yeah, there's a dance number. I, I just, it it seemed like there was some other movie that at times was trying to get out or like some, I don't know, here we are back at... <laughs> wet hot american summer although i guess this is like bloody hot american summer they're having like a define the relationship talk during yeah. this crisis where there's like a shark <laughs> like she's like the shark is coming from inside the house like she literally says this yeah and then shortly after there he's like well i don't know should we see other people when i move to venezuela like why are we being asked to care also they have no chemistry no, they and and they try really hard at the start, and I think maybe the excuse in in this bar scene when um, Sean Brody, who is uh, the younger brother of the Brody clan, who is terrorized in Jaws two, and now 
goes to school in Colorado to be as far away from water as possible. Like he's trying to make it with Leah Thompson. And there is just like <laughs> this canoodling to the canoodling power going on between Bess Armstrong and Dennis Quaid. Like it is just, you find out like, I think shortly thereafter, they say like they've been together for a year and like, this is not, nobody behaves like this after 60 days. <laughs> Like your brain chemicals that make you behave like this are gone by then. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, my issue is that I am always going to see her first and foremost as Patty Chase. So I kept waiting for him to be like, oh, that haircut really shows your ears more. And for her to get drunk on ginger flavored brandy, it's probably just me. Well, see, I was thinking about her because I just watched like a 2019 or 2020 Hallmark movie where she plays the mom to uh, a guy who's on played a serial killer on Criminal Minds. And uh, he's on like he's on Grace and Frankie is like a gay hustler. But like she's like 14 years older than he is and has to play his mom. And I was just like, I was so mad. I was just really, really irritated (laughs) by by just the process of like she has to pretend to be ancient compared to this guy with this craggy face all right anyway that's my own deal all right well uh let's play a clip of her trying to imbue this significant dialogue about the nature of the shark's motivations because it's just well all right let me play the clip and then i'll express some more confusion no Overman was killed inside the park. The baby was caught inside the park. Its mother is inside the park. Like she is trying so hard to make these lines tell the audience more than they can. And I respect her for that. But unless the shark is using legs it has eaten to walk on land, I don't understand like i understand why it's important but as far as like the human toll my Mm -hmm. sympathies are with cindy and sandy but a i don't think a movie for wide release is going to kill the fucking dolphin so i there was no tension there for me and can he clamber up uh can she clamber up on land their little elbows no because she yeah can't like she can break the glass of the control room, but then she can't swim in through it because they don't have the technology to to observe laws of physics and inertia. So lucky thing that they put the control room underwater so she could swim into it rather than putting it like just 20 feet behind where it is on land. Yeah. Uh, so this is really a um, local zoning drama <laughs> right yeah they well they could only build it that way because they bu- they bought all the parcels independently uh, with straw buyers kind of like disney did with disney world and they were only zoned for certain submarine palaces <laughs> i really thought this was going to go in a celebration direction celebration isn't bad it's just the people who live there okay <laughs> i'm not the one who can get up on my roof and see it from there so you say whatever you need to say it's new urbanist design. It's a very nicely designed community. They just sold it like luxury properties to people who don't live there. So it doesn't function. So it looks like a really weird Potemkin village. But like, of course, it looks like a weird Potemkin village. It's haunted. Nobody lives there. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, just a couple of things you reminded me of that I didn't want to lose sight of. When you said like this seemed like Galaxy Quest, like it was built from the documents. Um, <laughs> it, in some ways it is because they originally like the plan was somehow that the great white that gets burned and electrocuted at the end of Jaws 2 would only have been burned and he survived and he keeps coming. So, and then of course, Joe Alvis, the director was the only previous direction he had was second unit right. and set design on Jaws 2 and then the set design. So it is kind of like, you know, like you said, it's like, well, I've got this. This is what I've learned. These are the only tools I have. I will say also, and this is a comment I wanted to make anyway, but this information confirms my feeling about this that in the very beginning when iron eagle is walking various people <laughs> through the the little model version of it yeah i remember thinking that i liked the model and that i also liked that they just dropped this huge out of scale octopus like it's not huge but in the world of the model it's like an 18 foot octopus <laughs> and he's just right. there like doink like sitting on one of the underwater buildings I enjoyed that. I would like that model for my home. Spatial dimensions are not a strong suit in this movie. Uh, for instance, like one of the most iconic scenes in it is, uh, and like so much of it does seem like it was just, you know, they asked some executives like, what's a scary thing a shark could do? And, and then they had somebody write it. Um, <laughs> when they, the Aquamaids are all up in like a triangle behind the boat, they're water skiing and the shark's dorsal fin, mama jaws, comes up behind them and we've been told that it's a 35 foot shark and the dorsal fin is like eight feet behind him so okay let's do the math like 35 divided by two is like 17 right so eight feet minus seven. so like the head of the shark is like nine feet ahead of the actual aquaman so like how is it going to eat them is it going to like stop and like i'm going to hit the brakes they'll fly right by and then re-engage <laughs> like leah thompson's dead They're like come on oh my god tell me he's 35 feet i'm again there's going to be a a boy in the audience who is in third grade and he's going to know. Yeah. He's going to know. He's also going to know that that dorsal fin looks, first of all, it's not only are they all shitty, but they're all shitty in a different way. So <laughs> I just was like writing down like this one looks like it's made of like a flattened out license plate sheet metal um, that, that was pressed together and like uh, scratched up a little. And then this one looks like, like flexible band-aid material that was spray painted gray. This one appears to be egg crating. Uh, like it's, it's kind of amazing that each shitty fin is a different kind of shitty. It's a different angle of triangle. Like this is the is isosceles fin and this is the, not that fin. Geometry was a long yeah. time ago. I'm as old as Wilford Brimley. I don't want to talk about it. And it's it's also not big enough. Like that third grader is going to notice that each fin is about the size of one of those little hats that were for sale that you would wear <laughs> like at the pool to be a dick. Yep. And to like show a fin above the water while you're swimming. And you don't expect better. And yet the multifarious shittiness is i mean is entertaining where the movie fails in what it's trying to do so i guess i should give it credit i don't know if it's doing it on purpose but even it's bad stuff has callbacks uh like it's nicely nicely bookend things that uh that maybe you know if you were paying attention enough to think about bookending it you would pay attention enough not to put in the first part and just start over but uh <laughs> 
pursuant to the intro, there is a a Jonah and the whale callback. I, I want to uh-huh. play this clip as you're as you're entering the, the undersea kingdom. You hear the Jonah and the whale narration, and it is um, I would say like beautifully line edited. Consumed alive in history, Jonah found out what it was like to live in the belly of the ocean's greatest animal. And then, of course, at the end of the movie, we have uh, Simon McCorkendale's Philip Fitzroyce finding out what it's like to die inside the world's largest. It's not actually a mammal. It's a fish. But he's having his Jonah in the whale moment. It's the lucky thing is that the grenade remains undigested. I also was put in mind of, and I, to tell you the truth, resent Jaws 3D for bringing this film back to my mind saw this in the theater i'm unhappy to report uh godzilla 1998 mm-hmm. the broderick one yeah i saw that in the theater as well oh god we weren't allowed to leave our uh, my then apartment building because godzilla was in a cgi sequence stepping on an entire complex like next door to our building mm-hmm. so we had to stay inside and eat crafty in the lobby and we couldn't go out for like two days. Literally the only reason I went to see this, that sequence is 0.7 seconds, but there is this uh, really rather wonderful bit at the end where Godzilla is tangled up in the cables of the Brooklyn Bridge. And throughout that movie, I remember thinking, are, like, why are we rooting against Godzilla? Like the, the movie doesn't want it. Whose side does the movie think we're going to be on? And as um, a PA valiantly was using a hand crank to open and shut the jaws of Mama Jaws to show what's his name with a grenade, I remember thinking, like, whose side are we supposed to be on? Because, uh, right. I mean, I'm team Mama. These people are idiots. Yeah, there's really not any part of their operation in response to the shark that even seems practical from like a CYA liability minimization standpoint. Yeah. They only have like maybe 30 employees who need to be in the water and they can just pull them out. They could have ushered people out sooner. You know, obviously like this is a whole undersea habitat that they designed without having the water's apex predator in it. The fact that they've invested surely thousands of dollars just in the animals in it might be incentive to shut everything down. Yeah. But they don't. Also, this was like a soft opening, right? So Yeah. Just cancel it. Do it some other time. Get the you know, get all the field trips to come some other day. But they don't seem to understand how that works either though. <laughs> so I want to play this other clip from when Philip Fitzroyce is trying to sell Calvin Bouchard on hunting down the first great white that they find. You know, Cal. Could be a stroke of luck. If we kill this beastie on camera, I can guarantee you media coverage. Dude, were you there for your own arrival? You arrived at media coverage. There were literally people with cameras, like, doing the (laughs) speed-taking photos as soon as you show up on site. Like, what extra are you going to bring here? I would think that, like, the media coverage for We Built an Undersea Kingdom is probably going to trump, like, well, there's a single shark and an asshole's going to kill it. Yeah. Well, and also, get like, Kate is obviously correct when she argues, yeah. I think, against her, like, she'd rather not take this tack, but she has to in order to, you know, save baby shark's life. Oh, God, baby shark. Sorry, everyone. Uh, 
Not you, Nats fans. Suck on it. That's um, why I said Baby Jaws. Yeah. Because that's it's the shark's name is Jaws. Uh huh. I <laughs> I understand. I said I was sorry. It's like how the monster in Frankenstein is the Frankenstein, and if you see another Frankenstein, that's a separate Frankenstein. Multiple Frankenstein's. It's all this. Anyway. <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly what it's like. Did you have anything else? I wanted to note another bright spot, as it were, given that I could barely see anything that was going on, but that because this is, in its own mind anyway, a horror movie, they managed to do a it was only the cat bit, but with the dolphins. Mm -hmm. I respected that. Yeah, I like that. My bright spot, though, I think uh, you blink and you'll miss it. But like, I can't do it's a visual medium for this bright spot. We can't play it. But I have to describe it. There's a scene where Dennis Quaid commandeers a golf cart <laughs> to warn people. And he's this is right before his berserk march through the park, oh screaming in a high, completely ineffectual way, inaudibly at everyone. <clears throat> but he commandeers this golf cart that doesn't have like the shady top. It just has the, uh, the little kind of metal tailgate in the back uh -huh. that has been adapted to carry about two dozen cartons of popcorn to be taken to like, I guess, some distant concessionaire from... I don't know. I guess like they put the undersea poppery in there. Anyway, um, so he, he sea corn, right? <laughs> like it's it's pre salted. We cook it in anyway. Uh huh. The, so he he grabs the driver out of this golf cart and he just like throws Rolls him to the ground. Him out of the, yeah. <laughs> and then he takes off of the cart with such. A, I mean, like he floors it and it goes at such a jolt that all the popcorn falls off on the back. And then this is the best part. Immediately, like three children swarm the corn like park rats or pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this brief moment where I choose to believe the movie was going like, who's the real animal here? <laughs> I actually yelled fruit card. Because uh, e Ebert is always with me, I guess, in these, <laughs> in these things. That really was amazing. <laughs> just but like the touch of the children it would have been great it would have been completely absurd even without but that but the fact that they come in low so low to the ground you would think that they were in a mash unit and the helicopter had just landed <laughs> just, they are on that shit immediately look they they could sense what was going to happen to dr romano on er <laughs> yeah thank you for bringing up his bizarre like speaking of frankenstein's like lurching around through the landscape and every time he chooses to like plant and like hit the tape and yell warnings he's either 50 yards from the people he's next to someone else who has a like pa system oh and he also in addition to flinging the popcorn driver out of the cart he also flings some like waterside carny into the water and i don't recall seeing that guy get up i guess this movie does get kind of dark but he's not the only character who is above the water yelling at people who are 20 feet down yeah the pa thing is incredibly exasperating because it's like 20 seconds of him running around like you know the chicken with its head cut off while somebody's actually talking into the thing. So it's like he's got this big environmental clue as to how you could make more noise. And instead, he's just sort of like ineffectually yelling. And then when he finally gets it, it's completely unintelligible. It's like Homer trying to sing Convoy. <laughs> oh, 
maybe Dennis Quaid should have sung Convoy. Uh, we have to get out of here. We can't. We can't keep talking about this. Uh, <laughs> we can't, it's it's too. Okay, uh, one more thing. Eighteen minutes in. Okay, almost nineteen minutes. Out of nowhere, you just hear. Watch out, the snakes. <laughs> I'm just so trained by MST3K that I can't hear that without just losing it. And I know, like, I know that's not deliberate. Like, nobody in the production of this was like, we've got to get a joke callback to Ega in here. Nobody who goes to see Jaws 3 is not going to want to see, like, a Richard Keel movie. Yeah. I'm always put in mind of, uh, <laughs> don't get the clap, Jimmy Dugan. That's good advice. It is. <laughs> Watch out for snakes. That's good advice. So what is our rating for Jaws 3 in 3D? Oh, God. I mean, there's like a whole bunch of parts here that if they had just been, if the chunks in the dog's breakfast had been (laughs) rearranged, this might have been higher. But it was not scary. It was not quite campy enough. It felt really long. It was difficult to see. Also, enough with the fucking soldering. I'm going to come in at a three. That's exactly how I feel about it. I mean, it's it's such a Re- drop even from Jaws 2. I really was expecting some kind of shiny seven. I wanted to, and there are enough parts where you're like, that is more effort than you need to do for a sequel. But like the things that are wrong are so wrong. Yeah. They remove the flow and the urgency of the movie. Uh, you start introducing more levels of contempt for the people who are supposed to be your heroes. Like Calvin Bouchard seems like... At first, he might just be a larger-than-life personality, but who deep down like really thinks this is a you know a great and wonderful thing, and who wants to entertain people. But he just gets more, you know, craven and selfish. Ultimately, he winds up uh, with a, a stupid idea <laughs> that that basically frees the shark again, and you, you hear the the beep 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 noise as it begins backing out of a tube, uh-huh. <laughs> and. You know, and like you say, they 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 have those moments where like, well, do you want to move to Venezuela with me or not? Well, okay, but if I do, it's you got to do a year where I move to somewhere else. And okay, hang on, there's a literally the like a, a great white that's 15 feet longer than any we've ever heard of again. Sorry, before in the park, and we're going like, so are you? You want to? Would it be easier if we get married so we can just like get on a mortgage together? Would that be like paperwork? This is what I was saying before. Why are you having the fucking DTR right now? Why don't you see if at the end, if you can get to the end of this day and neither of you is Jaws kibble, maybe talk about it then. Yeah. Like, should we move to Asheville or is that getting too like overrated and bougie now? Like, I I don't know. (sighs) Nighttime with a beer. Bubbles floating up to the air, air, air as you hear them yelling underwater, like Durham, Durham. Oh my God! And I'm above the water, screaming, "Never Durham, never Durham!" Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I was really hoping that my childhood fascination and terror with these would would carry me further, but it's been a long time since I saw it, and I went in thinking this was one of the dumbest. I mean, it's not four, right? But you know, it has the it has the shark attack three megalodon thing of having the shark just go <laughs> like underwater because you <laughs> like you need to be more afraid of a thing without lungs growling. Um, none of like the bloom of childhood fascination could could like sustain actually just thinking about this for more than a minute. Yeah, maybe the most compelling review of the movie might be Dennis Quaid's disclosure that he was high on cocaine in quote every frame of this movie. How did his quaidness 
suffer or prosper for the uh, the Bolivian marching powder? <laughs> well, I don't know what your feeling is about this, but um, certainly, <laughs> certainly the um, popcorn lurchathon, uh, I think, owes much of its power, <laughs> such as it is, to. Uh, to white lines. Um, in the quieter moments, I suspect that um, exposition may have suffered. As a result, let's hear a clip and we can all judge for ourselves. How come Sean doesn't visit more? He hates the water. What? Yeah. <laughs> Remember that uh, shark attack I told you about when we were kids in Amity? Well, that's why he goes to school in Colorado. If our parents didn't live on an island, I don't think he'd ever get wet. <laughs> My daddy's the same way. God, I love this place. I hated it when we first came here. What's the matter? Did you get a telephone call? Venezuela? Guess I'm gonna have to start learning Spanish. You could start by learning a, an accent that sounds like it could be from somewhere besides Amity, Louisiana. I don't even remember where Amity is supposed to be, but on the Gulf of Mexico is, I'm pretty sure, not where it is. I think Amity is just supposed to be like copyright compliant Cape Cod. Yeah, I think or... that's right. Oh, speaking of locales, I didn't mention this. This was filmed at SeaWorld, which is baffling to me. Like, I want to be associated with a complete amusement park catastrophe and the largest predator on record seems odd but they filmed it there and then also at navarre beach and their occasional outside scenes where you're like yeah i've been there i've been drunk out there <laughs> after an all-ages show that's uh that's that looks like a beach that voted for matt gates by like 70 to 80 percent uh. <laughs> sorry buddy well what are you gonna do can't go home again <laughs> congressman hates you because you made fun of him in high school that's another, we'll talk about that some other time. It'll be on the bonus. We'll put it on the bonus. Okay. You, you explain the Durham thing and I'll explain what he was I like when yeah. he was a freshman. I just remembered that um, Wade is wearing a Red Sox hat at some point. That'll also be in the visual aids. And I just remember bristling at all of it. That's like the one signifier they get. That was, that cancels out the accent. Yeah, I guess. Except his brother shows up and has the, has the correct vague massachusetts accent like okay guys could someone care in concert with someone else who cares so that everything is coming out at the same level of caring nope okay then so did you have a number on the quadiosity the quade qua quade the quadity i'm gonna have quade? to i will try to do this with some dispatch but i i'm gonna have to work through it on uh the mic because there are a number of <laughs> wolfish grins he looks yep. great in the little khakis and the branded polo and the even the Red Sox hat is like, I mean, I don't like it, but I don't hate it either. But he's like a marine engineer who's like smoking in the control room. I don't I don't know. Um, he's also a little little careless with the jet ski, in my opinion. And you know what? Pay your workers overtime. They might get eaten. The dismount on that jet ski, though, was like, is if you got to do one and you don't have a jet ski, like, that's about the best you're going to do. Yeah. And he nailed it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the, my sense is that something very, like, uh, 
<laughs> airplaney happened like if this had been airplane or like you know zucker abrams jaws that it would have sunk immediately and landed right. on the shark um he like he's quadier than we've seen but in a part that is really less quady than we've seen and the lack of chemistry like that they're both they're acting like i don't know 50 year old english teachers who have been married for 25 mm. years is like his charm is not working on Bess Armstrong. She had more chemistry with what's his name in uh, the four seasons. Yes. I saw that movie ancient. I don't like, I don't know where to put it. Like, I feel like we're almost there and the coked upness actually would get it, the, get the number higher. Mm -hmm. But then the movie is like, I mean, he has top billing, but of course, really the movie is about the backward swimming shark with the Victrola crank jaw movements. And I kind of don't know where that leaves me with quaintiness. So I'm going to say a four and then, but reserving the right to revise based on your number. I was going to say it's like a hair over five. Yeah. Like 5.5, something like that, because it is. You bring up a, a really good point about him being top billing, but he's not the star. And the kind of Quaid vibe is carnal and a little carnivorous, a little predatory, right? And you can't do that when you're in danger and you're and like the object of that carnality is also always in danger. And there's something that's a way bigger predator. So that dynamic inhibits his quaidiness. The coding on the relationship is very much puppy love. Yeah. It's like constant canoodling. And then when it's not puppy love, it's like constantly kibitzing. So it's sort of like, it's, it's sort of like the, uh, the sine wave of codependency after 20 years. It's like two days of bitching and then like one night of cuddling in front of the TV, you know? So that doesn't really work with him. But the smirk and the swagger, like he's got it kind of like holistically going on yeah. he's just inhibited by the movie yeah and it doesn't quite belong in it and you bring up an excellent point sort of glancingly that this is someone whose charisma we consistently talk about in terms of the grin like that that's the touchstone that we're using and everything else kind of like emanates from that but this is a movie about like the toothiest motherfucker in nature <laughs> i've got your grin right here freshman i mean he's got no chance basically because of that dynamic like he's not he is not the apex or really a predator here so yeah i i mean 5.5 is fair but i'm gonna stick on four okay if anyone has watched this recently with the 3d goggles and in any state of like cocaine or edibles enhancement we would love to hear from you yeah, absolutely. Here come my pride and joy. Next time on Quaid in Full, who's the best podcast you ever saw? Well, we ain't done a live one yet, so not us. But next week, we take to the air and chase that old demon to find the right stuff. In the meantime, check out the show notes and smile, you son of a bitch. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. And if you want to know when your favorite Quaid work is getting to business or you just want to give us your business and advertise, DMs are open and Sarah is standing by. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet. No skin off the majority of our torso. Go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. I'll see you.
you guys later. I got more important things to do. No overtime. Okay. See you, Mike. No overtime!